Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Spice fans. This is Jenna Jay, and I'm welcome to the 255th edition of on the ropes boxing radio and I have a fantastic show in store for you guys this week. I'll be joined by three guests. I'll be having the return of former world champion and top boxing trainer John David Jackson. He'll be on to discuss the ageless wonder Bernard Hopkins upcoming fight this weekend against Joe Smith. He'll also be talking about Sergey Kozlov's fight with Andre Ward and what the future lies with the rematch. In addition to that, I have the return of Steve Farhood, who recently got inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame, and he'll be on to discuss that announcement and also to give his views on some fights from this past weekend. But to open up this week's show, I have a very special returning guest. He is now making his ninth appearance to On the Ropes Boxing Radio. I'm joined once again by trainer Abel Sanchez. How's it going today, Abel? It's going well. I'm actually at the airport waiting to board to go to Miami to go to the convention. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, Abel, let's uh, talk about some of your weekend activities. You were over in New Zealand with Andy Ruiz. He fought Joseph Parker. Um, Andy Ruiz came up just short on the scorecards. What were your thoughts on both the decision and uh, the fight? You know, I thought Andy fought well. I think uh, Andy has been, uh, in the past, has not been able to go that many uh, rounds without getting tired. And I thought that he fought a, a very good fight and was in shape and, and uh, we just came up on the short end. But uh, I thought that we won the fight. Of course, uh, everybody says that whenever we have a fight. Uh, but I thought that we won the first four. And then I thought we won 11 and 12. And I knew that we had to have won a couple in between there. So you thought the scoring overall was, was fair, though, that they had it as a, a very close fight and one judge having it a draw? Yeah, I, I, I knew it was a close fight. But I thought we had it uh, by a couple rounds anyway. But um, when you're in a foreign country and you're the visitor, you have to understand that uh, the crowd influences sometimes the decisions, but uh, it was a close enough fight where it could have been a draw or a one-point fight the other way. Uh, so hopefully there's a rematch. Uh, I think it deserves a rematch, and, and uh, it can be uh, on maybe a neutral ground. All right. Now, being the fact that you've worked with Andy too long, um, what do you think he can improve on in terms of, of getting better and winning a rematch? Oh, there's a lot we can improve on. We only had him for about five weeks, uh, five and a half weeks. Uh, and actually, in between that, he went home because there was talk about the fight being postponed. Uh, he went home for about a week. So we didn't get that much time to work with him and to work on his weight. And, and, and uh, But the conditioning was there. But uh, we can improve on a lot of things. Uh, he's he's still very young and he's still very uh, coachable. Well, besides Andy Ruiz, who also recently took – Marat Gassiev uh, to a win against Dennis Lebedev. Um, I think he won by split decision. Um, I thought it was a little, little wider than that. Gassiev won pretty clear. What were your thoughts on that fight? Uh, again, uh, we go to somebody's hometown in Moscow. That's uh, Dennis's hometown, even though they were both uh, of Russian descent. But Dennis being the hometown boy, uh, I think he got a, a little benefit on, in, on the scorecard, but we still won. I thought uh, Murat, uh, a young man at 23, uh, fought uh, the breast 
cruiserweight in the world at the time and uh, handled him uh, quite easily. And the great thing about it is he's only 23 years old, uh, so we have a, a lot of learning and a lot of improvement to come. Well, in terms of potential improvement, I, I watched that fight there. One of the things I saw that he didn't quite do a lot was when he had Leave It Have Hurt, he didn't really follow up on it. He didn't really finish up on the attacks. What, what things besides that do you see that maybe he can work on? Oh, there's a whole lot of things to be improved on. Uh, activity, uh, but again, we fought a guy that was very experienced, so it's difficult for a young guy that has uh, never been in a title fight, first of all, and has never gone 12 rounds to really decipher what needs to be done. Uh, all that comes from experience and all that comes from a lot of gym work and all that comes from uh, getting the kind of fights that are going to make him improve. But there's a load of things that he has to work on. But uh, that's the good thing, that he's 23 years old. We have time. All right, well, being the fact that you work with a cruiserweight champion, you're working with Andrew Ruiz, who's a heavyweight, how do you feel about working with these, these bigger guys now when you've been working primarily for at least the last, you know, dozen years or so with guys around middleweight and, and lighter? Well, working with Golovkin is like working with a heavyweight. Uh, he punches like one. So uh, as long as a guy wants to work, uh, as long as a guy wants to give me 100% in the gym, you know, it really doesn't matter what weight. If I have another guy in the gym that's a similar weight, then it, then it helps uh, both of the guys. But as long as the guys are willing to work and give me what I need in the gym, uh, you know, it doesn't matter the weight. All right. Well, you mentioned Gennady Golovkin. There's a lot of talk that early around March he'll be facing Danny Jacobs, but that fight keeps stalling. Uh, the purse bid has yet to go through on that. Do you think that fight will actually happen? You know, I don't know. I'm on my way, like I said, to, to Miami. Tom Laffer will be there. I'll be able to sit with him and, and find out where the heck we're at. Uh, from what I understand, it's going to first bid on the 19th of December, but there's still time to uh, deal something, to negotiate something. Uh, I would hope that it's Danny Jacobs in, in March, but uh, more important for me is that Golovkin gets in the ring and fights. Who he fights really doesn't matter to me. It could be Jacobs. It could be anybody. Are you at all upset that Golovkin initially planned to fight in December because of the delays with Jacobs that he didn't have that opportunity and now he's not fighting until March? Yeah, that's unfortunate because he's uh, by that time he'll be close to 35 years old. We need to get him in the ring for all of us, for all of us to enjoy uh, the kind of fight that he puts on for us. But um, uh, the unfortunate thing that it didn't get uh, done for the 10th was because Jacobs just delayed, or Jacobs had just delayed the negotiations. And you got to have enough time to promote a fight. So uh, Tom felt that it was uh, just too close to the date, so that's why they pulled it out. But... Um, the 18th of March, uh, it's on HBO. I think we have the date on HBO, so hopefully it is Jacobs, but uh, whomever it is, uh, Gennady will be happy to be back in the ring. All right, well, you've said on this radio show that Gennady is willing to face anybody, but most of these fighters from the division, the other names, they're not willing to fight him. Do you think that's going to change at all in 2017? You know, probably not, but uh, all we can do is just continue to fight the best available guy. Everybody seems to talk like they want to fight Golovkin, but... Uh, all they do is talk. Uh, there's no, there's no calling Tom Loeffler. No, you can't make a fight on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, you have to make the fight by calling the promoter and, and having their promoters call Tom and, and negotiate and, and, and make a fight instead of uh, arguing over it on, on social media, which, which is, does nobody any good. Um, Golovkin's ready to fight whomever. Uh, it's just that those guys talking need to step up to the plate. All right, well, one of the guys that has talked quite a bit, obviously, would be Canelo Alvarez and his team. 
has said multiple times they believe September 2017 is the fight. That's when they want to do it with Golovkin. Do you really believe that deep down, Abel, that this fight with Canelo will actually happen in 2017? Well, that's the best fight in boxing right now. I think that's the, the next fight that should happen. Uh, two, two of the best, uh, the most popular guys uh, boxing right now. And they need to get in, um, in uh, front of each other and, and decide who is the number one guy. Uh, and until that happens, uh, we're going to keep talking about it. But uh, from what I understand from Tom, negotiations are going real, real good. Uh, and if and if they are, we still have what nine months uh, for them to finish them off, or eight months to finish them off, and and, and get them together. All right. Well, quickly, I want to get your thoughts on Word versus Kovalev before the fight. I had you give your views on it. I'm wondering what you thought of the actual fight itself and the decision. I thought uh, Kovalev won. Uh, I thought Kovalev won by a couple, at least a couple rounds, and I said it after the fight. Um, I thought it was the kind of fight that I didn't want to see. The first six rounds were okay, but the last six rounds was a wrestling match. Uh, you, you, you shouldn't be able to win a fight by by wrestling. You know, this is not wrestling; this is boxing. So, uh, but that's that's how Andre fights, and, and it's not a pleasing style, but. Uh, for some reason, he convinced the judges, and, and the judges gave it to him. But I, I don't think he won the fight. Hmm. Well, one thing I want to get your view on quickly here is, is that, you know, that fight was a pay-per-view, and it didn't do particularly that great. I think it did about 160,000 pay-per-view buys. Uh, Golovkin, he fought Lemieux. He did about 150,000. It seems very hard since the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight for new guys to come out and have successful pay-per-views. Do you think Mayweather hurt that market going forward? for a lot of these guys in the future? Well, you know, it's unfortunate because we had two guys in, in, in Ward and, and Kovalev who uh, were actually pretty popular. Uh, uh, Ward being the gold medalist and Kovalev having a, a good run at it uh, up to that fight. But I think uh, the fans are upset. The fans are upset because of what uh, Mayweather Pacquiao did to us and, and they're and they're paying us back. Uh, we need to continue to try to put on the best fight possible and I think we'll get them back. But until we get them back, we're going to have these these low numbers, and we're going to, have to live with them uh, uh, until the fans come back to, to the table and, and, and start paying again to, to see the great fights that are being put on. All right, I just got a couple more questions before I let you off the line. And one of those guys who also had a struggling pay-per-view this past year was Terrence Crawford. Uh, did very poorly when he had his pay-per-view. He was kind of forced into it. I'm wondering, do you think he'll get that big fight in 2017? He's been calling out Pacquiao for a while. And since the Pacquiao camp is very hesitant to make it, even though that's his chance to have a, a big pay-per-view. Uh, well, Terrence is still young. I think Terrence just needs to continue fighting and continue winning and looking spectacular like he did the other night. Unfortunately, he didn't, didn't fight a guy that really came to fight because of uh, of the weight, and and he was obviously not serious about that fight. But uh, I think that uh, Crawford, a uh, couple more wins at that weight and moves up. He's got three or four guys at that 147-pound uh, division were. It could be a good pay-per-view, but it's not Crawford's fault. He did his job. Well, Abel, uh, to yourself and some of the fighters you're working with, can you let the, the fans know about some of the, the other fighters that you're working with and what fights they have come out? Well, Dennis Shafikov fought on the on the 2nd of December, right, the day prior to Murat Garcia, and he won a uh, split decision over Richard Comey, which put them in position for the mandatory position for uh, Robert Easter. So hopefully we get that fight in the first or second quarter of next year. And and he uh, uh, will fight for the title. Then we had uh, Constantine Panamara fought on the 
26th of uh, November in Vegas. He won a eight-round decision against uh, some McKinley Mortis. Uh, we have uh, uh, Alex Salcedo coming back and fighting, hopefully, uh, in the first quarter. Um, uh, Luz Lamadie will probably uh, another little lightweight that I have that's uh, eight or nine and zero. He'll be fighting in um, in the first quarter also. Let me see who else were. Uh, well, Carson Jones has got a big win, the 26 also in um, in England against Ben Hall. He'll be fighting, I believe. Uh, we're talking to Eddie about Sam Edgington uh, sometime also in the first quarter of next year. So we're going to be quite busy uh, 2017 early. The big fight for you guys in 2017, Golovkin versus Jacobs. What is your prediction for that if it does happen? You know, I said a long time ago that I don't think anybody from 154 to 168 could go uh, 12 rounds with Golovkin, maybe uh, outside of uh, Ward and uh, and uh, Chavez and maybe even Frotch. Uh, but everybody else, Gennady knocks out. Um, those three guys are probably the only ones that can withstand and are big enough and have the kind of styles that would uh, keep Golovkin from knocking him out. But everybody else gets knocked out before the 12. All right. Well, in closing, Abel, is there uh, any message you want to pass on to the boxing fans? Uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, uh, reaching out to me and uh, uh, keep those uh, fans supporting us, and and it keeps boxing alive for us anyway. Uh, up at the summit, we work hard. We uh, hope to put on the, the kind of fights that fans want to see, and hopefully, Golovkin has a great year next year for all of us. All right. All right. Well, Abel, as always, it was a great pleasure speaking with you today and also throughout 2016. I wish you all the best going forward, especially in the new year. Thank you very much, Jenna. You have a great day. All right. You too, Abel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was Abel Sanchez giving his thoughts on some of the fights that his fighters had from this past weekend and talking about their future. He also talked about the future of Gennady Golovkin and some of the upcoming fights that could happen for him in 2017. And as always, it's always great to hear from Abel Sanchez. He's one of these, you know, trainers in the sport that's been growing in acclaim, uh, not just for his work with Gennady Golovkin, but with his other fighters in the sense that, you know, he just brought another fighter to a world championship. He came within a few points of bringing Andrew Ruiz to a heavyweight title. And it just shows the versatility of Abel Sanchez as a trainer. You know, he doesn't just work with smaller weight fighters. He works with fighters from all different weight classes, you know, from guys all the way down at lightweight all the way up now to heavyweight. You know, it just shows that he's a versatile trainer that can bring many of his fighters success because, you know, he's a very, very knowledgeable trainer and a very well-respected trainer who's getting a lot of new fighters. Almost every day you hear about a new guy joining Abel Sanchez's stable because, you know, he's just a top-quality trainer, and the results speak for themselves. But to talk about some of the things that Abel was talking about, he mentioned the future of Golovkin and some of the fights that could be out there, you know, mentioned the uncertainty of the Danny Jacobs fight, when it's going to happen, the fact that the fight had to be delayed, there wasn't enough time to promote it, there was an injury to Danny Jacobs. You know, and also saying one of the most important things, too, is that he just wants to see Golovkin get back in the ring that Golovkin, you know, is getting up there in age and that, you know, he wants to see that Golovkin gets in there as many times as possible so the fans get to enjoy Golovkin while he's still at his top. And, you know, you got to admire that. you got to admire a trainer that just wants to see his fighter get out there and fight, that isn't always worried about just getting that big, huge super fight. He just wants to see his fighter be active, be out there, entertaining the boxing fans, you know, having great fights and adding to that fighter's legacy. You know, and he has someone very special in Golovkin. 
I mean, a lot of people will say that, you know, who has Golovkin fought? And you look down the list of the people who go out and fought, yeah, he hasn't faced that, you know, upper echelon fighter, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that those upper echelon fighters aren't willing to face him. I mean, the fight that everybody wants to see now today is the number one fight that can be made in all of boxing. It is Gennady Golovkin versus Saul Alvarez. It's been talked about a lot, but it hasn't happened. And part of the reason it hasn't happened is politics. You know, these fighters, they they want to make the most money that they possibly can, and sometimes they go to the extra extent of almost greed when it comes to that. You look at the side of Golden Boy and Liz Canelo, you know, they basically offered a flat fee to Golovkin, ignoring the fact that Golovkin is, you know, the recognized world middleweight champion. He has three of the belts, and people consider him the best, regardless of the fact that Canelo holds the Ring Magazine title. You know, Canelo is a guy that fought at middleweight one time. He fought against a junior welterweight at a catchweight of 155 pounds. So, you know, he's never been a true middleweight, but he doesn't want to take that full step to become a middleweight. He's just been kind of laying there, laying there in the middle. And, you know, that's part of the politics of it all. You know, he's a, he's a fighter that has a great marketability, but he hasn't been willing to put himself out there and put himself at risk against Golovkin and have that big super fight. So, you know, as many of us do, we all hope that 2017 is the year that that fight does happen. It would be great for the sport, especially with the way that, you know, 2016 went. You know, it's time. It's time for that fight to happen. Abel Sanchez is ready. Boxing fans are ready. And hopefully in the new year, we will see it. All right, well, with that, let's move things now to the news of the week. And, you know, there was actually some boxing fights. There were some fights this past weekend, and they were on multiple networks, and some of them were competing with each other. But overall, it was just good to, to see the sport return, see some fights out there. The first one I'm going to talk about is on HBO. That was Terrence Crawford against John Molina. Now, the fight itself, honestly, as soon as it was announced, I thought it was a mismatch. I didn't think that John Molina had any business being in there with Terrence Crawford. I didn't think of it as being an elite fight or even an interesting fight. Yes, John Molina beat Ruslan Provodnikov, and he did it, you know, impressive in the sense that nobody really expected it, and he outboxed Provodnikov. But still, he really wasn't deserving the shot, and he showed a lack of professionalism of the fact that he didn't even make weight for the fight. And when it came to the match itself, it was not competitive. I mean, John Molina tried. I mean, he went out there. He was trying to throw bombs, trying to hit Terrence Crawford, and Terrence Crawford does what he always does. He sits in there. He slowly picks apart his opponent. He breaks him down, and then he knocks him out. And that's exactly what he did to John Molina. John Molina, you know, was looking like a, a beaten fighter late. He was looking like his corner should step in. And then ultimately, it was Terrence Crawford who decided things and ended the fight without giving John Molina any choice in the matter. You know, he's that type of fighter. He can slowly break you down, and he can knock you out. And he's a guy that's very well avoided right now. I mean, you look at Terrence Crawford, he's a guy that deserves a big fight. He deserves a big fight. But if you look at 2016, you know, he had three fights. And while he did have one noteworthy one, you know, they weren't against any of the big names of sport. I mean, he beat Hank Lundy. Then he beat Victor Postal, which was a unification fight, and that was big in its own right. And then now he beat John Molina. But in terms of scope, none of the fighters were, you know, really, really well known, and it didn't help him build his brand. And you look at what's out there for him, you know, at 140 pounds, there ain't a lot of guys out there for him. There's not a lot of challenges. He's got to look up. 
you've got to look up to 147. And the one name that comes up the most is Manny Pacquiao. And that is because Manny Pacquiao's with top rank. It's a fight that they've talked about making multiple times. But it seems like the interest is only on one side of it, where, you know, Terrence Crawford is interested in having that fight. But the Pacquiao camp doesn't seem to have any interest at all, especially Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach saying, well, I don't like the Terrence Crawford fight. I like a Canelo Alvarez fight better, which really honestly doesn't make any sense. Where, what would you have your fighter do, face a guy that's been fighting at middleweight at 155? Or have a guy face someone that's a smaller weight fighter that's closer to your fighter's natural weight. But that's the risk that Terrence Crawford poses. Terrence Crawford is one of the best fighters in the sport today. He's pound for pound, one of the top ten fighters, arguably top five. He has that skill set. and He's a very dangerous opponent with his style to a Pacquiao. And you can see a reason why they are avoiding that fight, why they aren't looking forward to it. So when it comes to Terrence Crawford, you know, I think he's he's going to have to move up. He's going to have to give up on 140 pounds. And he's going to have to try to get some of those other fighters at 147 to face him, to maybe face someone like an Errol Spence, you know, a young up-and-coming guy that people, you know, see as the, the next superstar of sport. Take that chance. Face someone like that. Or maybe hope to get himself in line to face the winner of Keith Thurman versus Danny Garcia. Or maybe get a fight with Sean Porter. You know, just look at those fighters in that weight class. 147 is where it's at. And if Terrence Crawford is willing to take that risk and face some of the other guys, some of the dangerous guys in that weight class, maybe a fight with a Pacquiao can happen down the line. But he's going to take one of those other guys to be able to earn that fight with Pacquiao and get the Pacquiao camp to stop avoiding him. All right. Well, also this weekend, there were some fights on Showtime. The Showtime fight featured Aaron Morris versus Jesus Cuellar, and then also Jamal Charlo versus Julian Williams. Now, out of both those fights, the one that was a little bit more interesting to me was the fight with Jamal Charlo. I mean, he's a guy that's got serious firepower, and he showed it. I mean, he faced Julian Williams. The fight was 50-50 uh, with the odds makers. But, you know, when it came down to the fight, the one thing that separated them was the power. Charlo's power is very, very good for the weight class. And he can hurt and knock out almost anybody in it. And he showed that with Julian Williams. Because Julian Williams was able to outbox him at certain points. You know, he was able to make Jamal Charles not look good at certain points. But in the end of the day, what separated them was the fact that one punch, one punch can knock out Julian Williams at any time. And that's what we saw what happened. I mean, there was, you know, a knockdown early with a jab. And then in the fifth round, there was this beautiful uppercut, knocked Julian Williams down, and then he, you know, he finished the job. It was a very impressive performance. His future is definitely looking good, you know, especially at 154. I know he's got a stable mate in Arislan Laura. You know, whether or not that fight can happen or not because of that, it's unfortunate that it can't. But, you know, his future prospects at 160, they're looking very good. There's a lot of options for him. You know, there's a lot of guys in that weight class. You know, he's mentioned that he wants to face – uh, Canelo Alvarez, that would be a great fight. And also, Donnie Glaskin, that would be an intriguing fight in itself. So, he definitely got a lot of options. As for the other fight on the card, Abner Mars uh, versus Jesus Cuellar, it's good to see Abner Mars back. Guy was gone for 15 months. It looked like after the Leo Santa Cruz fight that, you know, he was pretty much done at an elite level at the age of 31. But he came back. He looked good against Cuellar, who was a, a very good fighter. And uh, he's got a title again. You know, he he won that fight clearly, even though they had a split. And uh, his future's looking good. And, you know, the winner of uh, Frampton Santa Cruz seems like a logical fight for him. But, 
you know, it was just good this past weekend to see boxing return, to see boxing back, because that's what we need. We need fights in the sport to, you know, get people's interest. And when you have long periods of inactivity, it hurts the sport. Even when you have weekends like this past weekend where there was a lot of fights, but, you know, unfortunately there were, you know, some overseas, some competing at the same time. It, it's good that there's a lot of fights out there, but you got to spread them out. you got to make them so all the fans can see them. Because if you actually look at the ratings for this past weekend's boxing, you know, HBO did around, you know, 900,000 uh, people watching that particular card. And if you look at Showtime, though, which was at the same time, you know, there was only around 350,000 people. So, you know, those two cars being at the same time hurt each other. So hopefully going forward in 2017, we see, you know, more boxing than we saw this past year, see more fights out there for the boxing fans. And when those fights are out there, that they're spread out and they're not competing against each other. So, you know, that the sport can continue to grow and not have competing cards hurting each other when all we want to see is just more fights and more action spread out around the calendar. All right, well, with that, I'm going to move things now to my second guest of this week's show. He is a returning one, now making his third appearance. I'm joined by Showtime boxing commentator Steve Farhood. How's everything going today, Steve? Everything's great. Thanks for having me on, Jenna. Uh, it's definitely a pleasure. And, Steve, first things first, got to congratulate you. You are named as part of the 2017 Hall of Fame class. How do you feel about that recognition? Uh, it's fantastic. I, I really I, – I never dreamed it could happen. It means everything to me, and what makes it really special is to go in with my broadcast partner on Showbox, Barry Tompkins, who's a good friend as well. So, you know, you combine the personal uh, recognition with the fact that I'll be doing it with Barry. It just makes it – I just can't wait. I wish June was tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what do you think about the, the rest of the Hall of Fame class? You've got Evander Holyfield going in, Marco Antonio Barrera, John Tapia. What do you think about the people that will be joining you? Well, I think that this was an unusual year and that those three names, the three modern-day fighters, were all first time on the ballot. And I think everybody kind of knew, hey, these are slam dunks. These are first first, uh, first ballot Hall of Famers. So I kind of feel bad for some of the other fighters who are outstanding or on the, uh, the, you know, the list because everybody kind of knew it was going to be Tapia, Barrera, Holyfield. And, you know, kind of hard to deny those guys. So it's pretty cool to go in. I mean, I just wish Johnny was still with us. He was a good friend of all of us at Showtime because he fought on the network so often. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. But uh, to go in with Barrera and Holyfield, know they're going to be there, is going to add uh, a lot to it. Let's face it. Nobody there is going to be coming to see Steve Farhood or Barry Tompkins. Everybody's going to be there to see Evander and, and uh, Barrera. So that's kind of kind of makes it exciting. Well, you mentioned yourself and your broadcast partner. Obviously, when you get into the sport, you don't necessarily think about, well, I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. But what is the meaning of that just overall, the fact that you've been in the game so long and that you've reached this point where people acknowledge you on your first time on the ballot that you're a Hall of Famer? Well, it's 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 humbling. Um, it's validation. You know, when you do one thing or you're in one industry for 38 years like me, um, you know, when I started boxing in 1978, I never thought I'd still be doing it now. And, and to still be doing it and, and, you know, hopefully doing it at a relatively high level, I, I, it's, it's validation that, that it's been time well spent. And, you know, I, I just feel very lucky because, as you know, boxing is a fascinating business and it's a lot of fun to be in. And I've done it, I've been involved in boxing in a lot of different roles and, and that's kept it fresh for me. And, uh, you know, broadcasting is my latest role in some of the things I do for Showtime and, uh, it's, it's great. I just hope the ride never ends. All right. Well, let's talk about, 
uh, some boxing that, that actually recently took place this weekend, and it was on Showtime. And while you weren't directly broadcasting it, there were some pretty interesting fights. Uh, Abner Morris took on Jesus Cuellar, and then you had Jermel Charlo uh, taking on Julian Williams. Um, I'm curious what you thought of both those fights. Well, the Charlo-Williams fight was really interesting because I kind of viewed that fight as two fighters who had similar skill sets, you know, both real good boxers, both real good jabs. I didn't know how it was going to play out. And as it turns out, it played out very differently than I thought because Julian Williams' chin just didn't hold up. And he was he was doing well. I thought he was outboxing Charlo. Uh, the rounds that that in which he stayed uh, stayed erect, he, he won those rounds. But Charlo punches harder than Julian Williams. Charlo punches pretty hard. And every time he connected clean, even with a jab in, the, in round two, I think it was, um, Julian didn't take it well. So that brought a, 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 an end to a fight where everybody thought it was a pick'em fight. And it was a very competitive fight, but it brought an end that I don't think anybody saw coming. And as far as Cuellar and Maris, I was really happy for Abner because he showed the discipline he needed to fight the right kind of fight. Um, that's something, you know, the ability to adjust to his opponent is something that he did really well when he was coming up. And it seemed to get away from him a little bit. He became more of a brawler. Maybe the change in, in trainers to Robert Garcia helped. But for whatever reason, he boxed really well. And I thought it was a clear win, and I can't believe that Kermit Bayless, one of the judges, scored for for uh, Cuellar. But uh, I thought I thought uh, Maris is back now. I mean, I thought he clearly won. And he's in line for, you know, maybe the winner of uh, Frampton and, and, and Santa Cruz. A rematch with Santa Cruz would not be the worst thing in the world. No, no, it certainly would not. But um, in terms of power, you look at Charlo, he's taken the moniker hitman from obviously Tommy Hearns. Do you think he's starting to earn that with the fact that he's showing some serious firepower in this weight class? Well, I think he kind of surprised us a little bit. You know, one of the problems with the Charlos, and, and, and this seems maybe almost like insignificant, but I don't think it is insignificant. When they were coming up, they were coming up roughly the same time. Jermel was a little further advanced. They, they, they definitely were hurt by the fact that fans couldn't distinguish them. You know, you look at them and you don't know which one is which. Their, their personalities are not all that different. They weren't able to really develop individual personalities. I think now... Now that they have different trainers, now that Jermal is potentially going up to middleweight, I think he'll develop his own personality, his own image. And I think that's important because he's a really good fighter. And it looks to me like he has the power to, to rise to middleweight and, and keep his power there. And, and that's really what distinguishes him from Jermal, who's a very good boxer also, is the punching power and the aggressiveness. So Jermal may be, even though he's been a champion now for three title defenses, I think he might be a little bit of a diamond in the rough and that people don't fully appreciate him yet. But they certainly are going to appreciate him more after what he did to, to Julian Williams. And now, Steve, I'm wondering, do you think he should actually go up to 160 pounds, being the fact that he still has a little unfinished business because Iris Wandilar is in the weight class and still people regard him as the best at 154? Yeah, you know, he said that the only way he wouldn't go up to 160 if he gets a fight with Cotto or Canelo. He won't fight Lara because they have the same trainer, Ronnie Shields. They're, they're stable mates and good friends. And, and to be honest, why would he, as much as it would benefit him if he beat Lara, Lara's a bitch to fight. Let's face it. Nobody wants to fight Lara. Difficult to fight. And he's a stable mate. So the money, and the money wouldn't be great, but the money would be great if he fought Cotto or Canelo. Um, politics may prevent those fights from coming. So I, I don't think going up to 160 is a mistake. Plus, only he knows how his body feels when he makes weight. I know that he, he didn't come to our Showtime fighter meeting the morning uh, the morning before the fight because he was struggling to make weight. So he ended up coming in and making weight, no problem. But clearly 160 is his future, and I think he'll probably move up right away. 
All right, well, how do you think you do at 160? Obviously, you have uh, Canelo Alvarez, who holds the linear title, and then you have Gennady Golovkin, as uh, most people recognize him as the champion of the How do you think he would do with either of those guys? Well, I'd love to see him with either of those guys for sure. Um, the problem with him at 160 is who is he going to fight? You know, Golovkin is, is an HBO fighter. Charlo is a Showtime fighter. Um, Canelo is really still a 154-pounder. And if Canelo makes the jump to 60, it's probably going to be to fight Triple G. So I don't know that there are a lot of big names. I mean, I'd love to see Charlo fight Danny Jacobs. There are other middleweights out there, Billy Joe Saunders and, you know, one or two others. But it's not a division filled with a lot of hot names. One, they're just not there. And two, Triple G's beaten so many of them. So I just hope that he gets the fights that, you know, that that we'll be interested in at 160. Because let's face it, 154. You know, it's a chock-full division with Andre and Charlos and, and, and Julian Williams and, and Lara and, and, you know, Tony Harrison. There's a lot of good fighters at 54. So uh, we'll see. I just hope it works out for him because he's a good young fighter, exactly the kind of fighter we need in boxing. Oh, if you're speaking of 160 pounds, the one fight that people were most disappointed that didn't happen in 2016 was a fight between Triple G and Canelo, and people are having the hope once again in the fall of 2017 that we'll actually see this fight. You, do you actually believe that it will happen? I'm optimistic, and I think, Jenna, the reason I'm optimistic is because they need each other. There aren't a lot of guys for Golovkin to fight. You know, every time he gets in the ring, I mean, he's an amazing fighter, but if you really look at the victims on his list, there aren't that many names that you go, oh, that guy was special. You know, he just hasn't, he hasn't had the quality of opposition. And, and who is Canelo going to fight because of politics? A lot of the better 154-pounders, Lara, Charlos, they're, you know, they're, they are on the Showtime side of the street, and, uh, and Canelo's on the Golden Boy HBO side of the street. So I don't know that there are a lot of guys at 54 for Canelo to fight. So I think they need each other. They're going to make way more money fighting each other than anyone else, and uh, it's a fight the public wants to see, and, and it's probably the number one fight the public wants to see. So I, I, I'm optimistic that it'll happen. By waiting so long, of course, they run the risk of, you know, it never happening at all. We've seen that happen with a lot of big fights. So I hope it happens, uh, you know, in 2017. Well, we'll see another fight that took place on Showtime was Anthony Joshua in his title fence against Eric Molina. He won it easily. It wasn't a hard fight for him. But right. it sets up a very big fight against Vladimir Klitschko, who's been out of the ring for over a year. I'm wondering, one, what you think of Anthony Joshua as a fighter, and two, what do you think of him taking such a, a big step up in terms of competition to face Klitschko? Well, it is. You're right. It's a huge step up to fight Klitschko. I don't care if Klitschko hasn't fought in five years. It's it's way the best fighter he's ever fought. So, and and also there's a tendency to think that Klitschko is either over the hill or you know close to done. Let's face it. Tyson Fury fought a very ugly fight, but the right fight to beat Klitschko. That doesn't mean that Klitschko is going to have the same result if he fights Joshua. You know what happens if Joshua gets hit on the chin? You know we want to see that. So I give him a lot of credit for fighting Klitschko, and I think that. Let's face it, 2016 wasn't exactly the hottest year in boxing. Um, the heavyweight division could very well carry it moving forward the next two or three years because you have, you know, Wilder will be back. We know that Wilder likes to fight often. If his injuries aren't a problem, he will fight often. And, and things will build, hopefully, to a Joshua Wilder fight, maybe with Fury thrown into the mix. Who knows? With him, you don't know if he's, if he's physically or mentally, you know, capable of, of maintaining his status right now as a fighter. So, um, but... Let's get Joshua Klitschko. It's a huge fight. It's an attractive fight. And if Joshua beats Klitschko, what I'd like to see Joshua do is get a little bit of exposure in the United States so that when he does fight Wilder, which both want, uh, it would be just a gigantic fight, the kind of fight that would create boxing fans. 
boxing. There was one more fight that took place this past week, and it was really just it's amazing how boxing can shove it all in, in one week. But there was also Terrence Crawford facing John Molina, another fight that wasn't the best matchup in the world. He won easily. Um, people talk a lot about his future and the fact that people really just don't seem to want to fight him, the big-name guys, guys like Pacquiao or even guys that won 47. I'm curious what you see for his future in uh, 2017. Well, I think the fans would like to see Terrence Crawford fight Manny. I think that would be the ideal fight because, you know, Terrence Crawford is one of these guys, and we've seen this periodically in boxing, who's a fantastic fighter without that high a profile. I don't think non-boxing fans have any idea who Terrence Crawford is. The way you give him a higher profile is to fight a Manny Pacquiao. If he's good enough to win, then he deserves to be a big star. And, uh, you know, Manny, the question is, does Manny want that fight? Freddie Roach has said he doesn't really like that fight for Manny. To me, that's another way of saying we think Terrence Crawford's too dangerous. Um, even though Crawford would be the one coming up seven pounds to fight Manny at welterweight. So that's the fight I'd like to see him fight. I don't think there are a lot of other big fights for Terrence Crawford at 140. And, you know, we, we need stars in boxing. We need stars to replace Manny and Floyd. Terrence Crawford's one of the guys that could become one. And uh, I don't know how much star appeal he has. And, you know, if you don't have a lot of star appeal, the only way you're going to get it is to fight big fights. So I hope he fights Manny or, or one of the welterweights because there's not a lot at 140 for him. All right, well, Steve, I just have a, a few more questions for you before I let sure. you the line. And, and being the fact that we are going to 2017, we kind of start like we do every year. You mentioned Mayweather and Pacquiao. People still talk about them fighting each other, and there's still talk of a rematch. <laughs> I'm curious, one, do you think that will happen? And two, do you even want to see it happen after the way the first fight played out? Well, you know, I think that Floyd Mayweather is not only a great fighter, but he's a very, very smart businessman. And I think that he looks at Manny. He looks at Manny's pay-per-view numbers for the last fight. They weren't very good. And he says to himself, if I'm going to come back, I have to come back for a huge, huge payday. There is no doubt that Manny would be his biggest payday. Even though a lot of people who bought the fight the first time wouldn't buy it the second time, because let's face it, it wasn't a very good fight. It's, it's still just based on Manny's name. It would still be the biggest fight for Floyd. And if he doesn't think he can make a ton of money, because let's face it, he's been a little spoiled with the, with the money he's made. I don't think he's going to come back. You know, every day, when you're his age, every day you don't fight, that's, that, that makes it just a little bit less likely you're going to come back. And if he doesn't see, you know, I mean, would he fight Conor McGregor? Of course, he'd fight him in a second. Who wouldn't? You know, everybody wants Paul, well, Conor McGregor because he's not a boxer. But uh, as far as Manny, who's a legitimate boxer, I, used to, I never thought Floyd would not fight again. I always thought he'd fight again. But uh, as time goes by, I don't think he sees Manny as the economic uh, you know, windfall that he would hope it would be. And that's the only thing that's going to bring him back at this point. So I'm leaning toward thinking that fight will not happen. Hmm. Now you said that might be the only thing that could lead him back. I'm curious, what about Canelo Alvarez? The first fight, it did very well, and obviously Canelo's advanced to the fighter. Do you think he would consider that at this point, or do you think that maybe he would be leery of that, being that Canelo has gotten better since they last fought? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, to him, I think that might be business that's already done. You know, and plus you got to add the fact that it, it, all signs indicate Canelo is not going to be at 54 much longer. Floyd has fought junior middleweights. He's never really fought at, a, at the junior middleweight limit of 154. But I think he might view Canelo now as a little bit better than he was and, and, and a lot bigger. And I, I don't think that, that, that that's the kind of risk that, you know. I mean, look, Floyd, Floyd doesn't always take risks. We know that with his opponents. When you're number one, you pick and choose who you want, when you want, and you fight where you want. And that's uh, Floyd's gained that right, and he's going to he's going to employ it. So I, I don't I don't see that fight happening. I will see. Being that we are almost at the end of the year, 
people are asking, who is the fighter of the year? Who was the best fighter of 2016? Some are saying it could be Crawford. Other people are saying maybe Ward, even though there was controversy in this fight. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Who is your fighter of the year? Well, I think the guy I favor, and maybe this is partly because I'm a Showtime guy, so I'm a little biased. I like Carl Frampton for fighter of the year. I mean, he won a fantastic fight. Uh, he also beat Scott Quigg. I believe that was in 2016. Yeah, it was. Um, so he won two very big fights, and the way he won the Santa Cruz fight was fantastic. So, yeah, I, I, Crawford is a candidate. Um, you know, there are other candidates, but I think that I, I would go with Carl Frampton. And, of course, we're going to see him early in 2017 against Santa Cruz in the rematch. So who knows? Maybe he can win it two years in a row. But I, I think I'd, I'd lean toward Frampton because he, he fought Quigg in a unification fight, and then he, then he moved up and beat Frampton in a great fight, beat uh, Santa Cruz in a great fight. So I think I'd lean that way. What do you think? What what do I think? Yeah. Honestly, I gotta agree with you. I think okay. Carl Frampton. I gotta think Carl. Because if you look at uh, if you look at Crawford, he fought basically really just one real real high class fighter. The other two fighters, you know, Molina. I don't think he should have even gotten the title shot, even though he beat Provodnikov. Uh, and then right, right. Uh, and that fight fight against Hank Lundy. It was another filler fight, but Frampton beat two top quality guys that were both undefeated. So I agree with you. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad to hear that because I, I don't want to think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely not. But okay. um, going into the to the New Year year, what fights do you want to see happen? What fights as a, a commentator do you want to see made in the New Year? Well, Joshua Klitschko for sure is, is a big one. Um, I'll tell you another big one if if it happens. Well, well, we know another one that will happen in March is Keith Thurman and uh, Danny Garcia. That's a fantastic fight. I mean, you've got two champions who are undefeated. Um, you know, Porter Thurman did not let us down. It was a great fight. And I think Thurman Garcia will be a great fight. And, and you know, the winner of that fight will uh, be the number one welterweight. But with that in mind, a fight I didn't think would happen now looks like it might happen, and it's another good one. And that's Kel Brook against Errol Spence. You know, Errol Spence is the, is the mandatory challenger for Brook. Everybody figured that Brook, after he fought Golovkin, would move up to at least to 54, if not to 60. Now he's saying, I don't want to give up my title. So if he goes down to welterweight and fights Errol Spence in England... That's a huge fight, and that's, I mean, is there a fighter who's looked better than Errol Spence coming up? No. So I'd love to see that fight. That would be a very big fight. So, it, you know, big fights make more big fights. We say it all the time. It's really true. And the welterweight division and junior middleweight division, featherweight division, they're all hot. Um, I'd love to see Lomachenko in a big fight. I'm not sure against who, but uh, maybe he needs to move up to lightweight. I don't know. But, you know, Lomachenko's great to watch also. So th- those are some of the bigger fights, uh, you know, that I want to see. All right, well, Steve, in closing, to all the fans of Showbox and all the people that have watched you broadcast fights in 2016, is there a message you want to pass along to them? Well, I just appreciate it. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm excited about going into the Hall of Fame. I'm going into the Hall of Fame because of the fans who either read my writing for many years or watched me on TV. And, you know, it's not about me. It's about the fighters and the fights. I know that. Uh, but uh, I just want to thank. I, I got a, a big outpouring of, of support and encouragement and, and celebration after it was announced. And, I just want to thank everybody. So whoever's listening to this, thank you very much. And uh, we'll keep moving forward, and let's have a great 2017. All right. Well, Steve, it was a great pleasure having you once again come on on the Rose Boston Radio. I, I thank you so much for your time, and I wish you all the best going forward into 2017. Thanks so much, Jenna. Thanks for having me on. All right. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was Steve Farhood discussing his recent induction into the Boston Hall of Fame, giving his thoughts on the fights from this past weekend, and also talking about the future of the sport and some of the upcoming fights we'll see in 2017. Like I got to say, it was a, a great pleasure talking to Steve Farr. This is a guy 
you can tell, absolutely loves the sport. I mean, he said it himself. He's been in the sport for 39 years. And you can tell by the way he speaks about it, talks about the fights, talks about the potential fight for next year. He loves the sport just as much as when he first got into it. I mean, he's a guy that absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And he said it himself, too, that it was great that he could get into the Hall of Fame with his broadcasting partner, Barry Tompkins. I mean, that's not something that you often see is, you know, two guys on the same network getting acknowledged at the same time. And both guys are very deserving. So I have to say it was a great pleasure speaking to Steve Farhood. And, again, I have to congratulate him on getting elected to the Hall of Fame. Well-deserved. All right, let's move things now to the Ask Dennis segment show. That is where you guys, the boxing fans, get to ask me the questions. You can do this either by emailing me on the ropes, boxingradio at gmail.com, mentioning me on Twitter, Jenna on the ropes, or placing your questions in our Facebook group, which is 10,000 members strong. So, guys, if you want to get your questions on the show, that is how you can do it. I'm going to take my first question. This one comes from Gavin Lockhart. He says, Anthony Joshua defeated Eric Molina this past weekend, but is he taking too big of a risk by stepping up to face Vladimir Klitschko next? All right, well, this is a, a very interesting question, Gavin, because it's a very big fight that's going to be happening in 2017. And, yes, it is a massive step up in competition for Anthony Joshua. I mean, Anthony Joshua, he looked excellent. I mean, excellent as a, a professional fighter. He's a former gold medalist. He's now 18-0 with 18 knockouts, and he became a champion in 2016. But every single fighter that he's faced in his career, not one of them is even close to the ability of Vladimir Klitschko. Vladimir Klitschko is one of the greatest heavyweights that we've ever seen grace the ring. You know, and yes, by the time they reach the ring and face each other, Vladimir Klitschko will be 41 years old. You know, and that does bring some questions, whether or not Vladimir Klitschko will still be the same fighter. He'll be coming off of a massive layoff of, you know, well over a year. Um, his last fight, he didn't look particularly that good against Tyson Fury. Uh, he didn't throw that many punches. He only landed 50-something punches the whole fight. It was a, a very bad performance. Putting that all to the side, look, Vladimir Klitschko is still a great heavyweight. He's still one of the top heavyweights in the sport. And despite that fight with Tyson Fury, he's still a big risk to Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua, as I said before, has taken a huge, huge step up in competition. And Vladimir Klitschko, you haven't seen him much in this particular spot where he's the underdog, where people are thinking he is going to lose. And that's what he has right now. He has people thinking he's going to lose, people that are pointing to his age, pointing to that fight of Tyson Fury. He has all the motivation in the world. But the one thing I point to and why I think it's a very dangerous fight for Anthony Joshua is the fact that Vladimir Klitschko's last fight is misleading in a lot of ways. You know, if you look at the fight and the preparation for it and what he was preparing for, he was preparing for a guy that kept saying he could not win a fight in Germany facing Vladimir Klitschko. He had to go for the knockout. And when you saw the, the way that the fight actually played out, Tyson Fury went out there boxing. He went out there to outbox Vladimir Klitschko. And I don't think Vladimir Klitschko was prepared for that particular type of situation. Uh, a guy like Tyson Fury, who talked all this talk to go out there and box. And by the time he finally adjusted and was starting to land late, it was too late. He was landing in the 11th and 12th round, but it was already too late. He put himself in such a big hole, that is why he lost. I think this fight here is a 50-50 fight between Joshua and Klitschko. I think it is a great fight. And it is a big risk for Anthony Joshua, but it has a lot of reward. If you're going to take on Vladimir Klitschko, now is the time. He is coming off of a very long layoff. He is going to be 41 years old. 
So if you're going to take this risk, it's the time to do it. And he's taking a big risk, but it can have a lot of payoff. You know, when I think about who's going to win it, i got to give the edge to Joshua because of his views. But still, you know, we've seen Joshua hit. We've seen him get shaken a little bit by Dillian White. What happens when someone like Vladimir Klitschko hits him on the chin? That could be a big difference, and that's the biggest test of all. So we'll see in April when those two guys face each other. But i, I got to say, I'm very excited to see that fight. I'm going now to my next question. This one comes from Anthony Black. He says, what were your thoughts on Chisora versus White? Is it a heavyweight fight of the year? Do you agree with the decision, and should there be a rematch? All right, well, Anthony, first thing i got to say is that was an amazing fight. That was a top five fight of the year type of fight. I mean, you know, it was something I really didn't expect. There was a lot of hype going into the fight because of, you know, those two guys being trash talkers and what they were saying to each other and Derek Tazora throwing the table at Dillian White. Um, but when it came right down to it, the fight not only lived up to the hype, it exceeded the hype. You know, Del Boy came in there, and he came in there in shape, and, you know, he came in there determined. He looked very determined to win that fight, and early on he was actually dominating Dillian White. He had shook Dillian White multiple times, but what happened was is that the way that Derek Chisora throws his entire body and everything into every shot and that he was going for the knockout and Dillian White actually has a very good chin, you know, he got tired. He got tired a lot of points. He got exhausted at certain points. He recouped, you know, but the second half of the fight, Dillian White made a pretty good comeback, made it very close. Um, you know, it was a fight, honestly, that, you know, I thought was going to end at several occasions because both these guys were hurting each other. Both these guys were tired, you know, it was actually a really, really, really great fight, not just for heavyweight, but for any boxing division. It was an excellent fight. It's a fight that we need to see more of. But in terms of the actual decision, I actually did think that Derek Chisora did enough to win. I had seven rounds to five for Derek Chisora, you know, but it was a fight that could go either way. You know, and when all the way came down to it, it was a split decision, and the scorecard showed how close that fight was. And it was decided by a single point, so... It was an absolutely fantastic fight. It was great for the heavyweight division. And, you know, it showed that Derek Chisora still has a lot left, and I hope he gets a rematch. I hope he gets another shot at it because it was a great fight. There should be a rematch because that it was a great fight. But also, too, there's unfinished business here. Being the fight that the fight was that close, that competitive, had that many interesting moments in it, it begs for a rematch. And uh, hopefully we get to see it in 2017. All right, I'm going up to my next question. This one comes from Peter Cruz. It says, do you think a Pacquiao-Lomachenko fight is realistic? Well, this is interesting because Bob Arum brought up the possibility of Lomachenko facing off against Manny Pacquiao. Lomachenko is fighting at 130 pounds right now, but he is one of the most decorated amateur fighters to ever reach the professional ring and to hold a championship. I mean, he's got an excellent skill set. He's very talented. But, again, he is 130 pounds. And I know Manny Pacquiao is not the biggest guy in the world, but he's been fighting 147-pounders for a long time. And, you know, he's a guy that's probably got a natural weight of 140 pounds. But still, that's a, that's a massive weight advantage for Pacquiao if that fight were to happen, even if it happened at 140. And if you look at Roman Chanko, the one time that he faced a fighter that was bigger than him, that came in bigger than he expected, that was Orlando Salido. And Salido beat Lomachenko because that because he had the weight advantage, because, you know, he had that extra weight and strength advantage going into that fight. So 
honestly, is the fight realistic? I mean, yeah, it's as realistic as when Pacquiao fought De La Hoya. Same type of weight discrepancy. The only difference is Pacquiao isn't casted like De La Hoya was. And if these two guys fight, I believe that Manny Pacquiao will knock out Lomachenko. That's my honest belief if this fight happens. Yes, Lomachenko is, is supremely skilled. He's got excellent boxing ability. Does he have the ability to outbox Manny Pacquiao? I mean, yeah, sure, if they were the same size, but they're not. There's such a size discrepancy here, and Manny Pacquiao has so much left as a fighter, I truly believe he would knock out Lomachenko if that fight happens. So we'll have to see if that fight even would happen. I truly don't think it will. I don't think there's enough reward for Pacquiao to even want to take it. And also, too, you know, what do you get out of it? If you knock out a smaller guy, you won't get the credit. So, honestly, I just don't see the fight happening. All right, I'm going now to my next question. This one comes from Armando Lopez. It says, Nicholas Walters received a lot of criticism following his defeat to Vasily Lomachenko. Do you feel that he deserved that type of backlash? Wasn't he already on track to be getting knocked out? It wasn't interesting, Armando, because when you look at that fight there, I mean, it wasn't competitive. and honestly wasn't interested. On paper, you thought it was going to be a good fight, but it wasn't. You know, Nicholas Walters was completely outclassed in that fight. Uh, he was coming off a long layoff, but besides the layoff, he just wasn't in the same skill level as Lomachenko. He was getting beaten in every single round, and he was getting embarrassed for the most part. I mean, you know, he was getting landed on at will, and he couldn't do anything about it. That said, you know, it's one of those cardinal sins of boxing is quitting. Quitting when you can continue. Now, you say that he's on track to getting knocked out. Yeah, he gets done on several occasions, but he wasn't horribly hurt, like, like he was – you know, on the verge of getting knocked out. You know, he got hit with some solid shots, and I'm sure that they hurt him. Um, but it didn't look like he was on the verge of just getting knocked out in the very next round. It looked like he was on the verge over the next few rounds getting fully broken down and, you know, maybe having uh, the referee stop it. Yeah, I mean, it was starting to get to that point. But when you look at the sport and you look at the history of the sport, what is the, the number one thing that you do that people remember for you negatively? That's when you quit. You look at Roberto Duran, one of the greatest players we've ever seen, but people always bring up no moss, what happened with him and Sugar Ray Leonard in the rematch. You know, and people gave him a lot of criticism about that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think you can't tell what's in another person's head and what they were going through. Um, he thought he was beat at that time. But still, I believe that if you really, truly believe that you're outclassed and done in the fight, don't openly quit. Don't openly say, oh, you know, I just, I just, you know, he, uh, he was beating me and he was going to knock me out anyways. And it was better just to, to, to stop. Fake an injury. I'm sorry. you got to fake an injury, Nicholas Walters. You can't do what you did because it just makes you look bad. And people will judge you for the rest of your career because of it. It's unfortunate, but it is part of the sport right here. We're in a sport where people want to see people give their all, give everything they have, try to the very last second because – We've seen it before, too, in history. Guys that have lost every single round of a fight, like a, a Mickey Ward losing every single round of a fight and then landing one body shot and it changes it all. People like to see these guys give everything they have. And, yes, it is about, you know, making sure that nobody gets hurt. But at the same time, too, if you're not looking like you get knocked out, we're in the very next round and you're looking like you have enough left, give it everything you have. And if you think you can't compete and you can't continue, Quit, but quit because of an injury. Don't quit just because you're saying it's really hard and too tough because people won't respect you for it at the end of the day. I know it's a tough situation, but at the end of the day, Nicholas Walters is going to be remembered more for quitting this fight than doing anything else in his career. And honestly, that is a shame. 
I'm going to go now to my next question. This one comes from Winston McPherson. Because a lot of people in boxing have been showing the desire to see UFC fighter Conor McGregor fight in boxing for some big money. What do you think of this situation? Oh, well, honestly, uh, Winston, I think it's a shame. I think it's a, a horrible shame that the sport of boxing is at the point now where we need an MMA fighter to draw interest to the sport and have a big pay-per-view. It is an absolute shame because it would be an absolute disgrace. Conor McGregor does not deserve to be in a boxing ring with an elite fighter or any elite fighter that he has been mentioning talking about fighting. It's just not in the same level. You know, I mean, you look at the guy. He's got a boxing license now in California, but he's a guy that lost to Nate Diaz not because Nate Diaz just choked him out. It's because Nate Diaz hurt him on his feet. You know, when it came to striking, Nate Diaz is not that great of a striker, wouldn't be a great striker in boxing, isn't even as good as his brother Nick Diaz, hurt him on his feet, and then, you know, Conor McGregor went to the ground, retreated, and got choked out. You know, he's a guy that, honestly, I can't see competing and beating even C-level fighters in boxing. So he's got no business calling out a Floyd Mayweather Jr. It's all about money for him if he wants to fight Floyd. Even if he wants to face Canelo Alvarez, it's all about money. He's got absolutely zero chance against either of those guys. None, zero, zilch, 100% negative zero. There's no chance for him. You know, there's just a big difference between MMA and boxing in terms of skill set. Now, if you put Floyd Mayweather Jr. in the ring with Conor McGregor under UFC rules, again, zero chance Floyd Mayweather Jr. wins. You put a guy in a different sport, it's the whole point. It's a different sport, different rules, different circumstances. When you put somebody like Conor McGregor under boxing rules, he legitimately has no shot. He does not have the skill set to compete at that level. You know, and at the same time, you put a guy from boxing, as we've seen before, like over James Tony, they don't know what they're doing. You know, there's so many other ways you can lose in mixed martial arts. So, honestly, I, I get the fascination with it that people want to see, you know, this big superstar, this big pay-per-view star face a boxer, but it's not going to be competitive. It's not going to be interesting in terms of the actual fight that you see. I mean, if you look out there, Paul Nagy was calling out Conor McGregor. Honestly, there is a chance that even Paul Nagy, who does not have great punching power, could knock out Conor McGregor. This is a guy that Nazim Richardson once said, needed a running head start to knock over a glass of milk. That Paul Imanagi, he can knock out Conor McGregor. That is the difference between the sports. So, honestly, as much as people like to talk about it, I don't want to see it happen. I think he should stick to his own sport because that is what the difference is. The difference between boxing and MMA, completely different sports, completely different skill sets. And if you put Conor McGregor in boxing against an elite fighter, it will be an embarrassment to the sport and it will hurt the sport further than any of these bad pay-per-views have. All right, I'm going up to my final question of this week's Ask Jenna segment, and it comes from Oliver Thomas Rooker. He says, do you think the days of big pay-per-view are over now that Mayweather is retired and that recent pay-per-views have not been doing very well? Oh, this is very interesting, Oliver, and I brought this up briefly when I was talking about Conor McGregor. I mean, you know, people want to see that guy join boxing to, to see that big superstar fight, to see, you know, two big names go at each other. And, you know, that's unfortunately where the sport is right now. I mean, Mayweather hurt boxing a lot, and, and Pacquiao as well, for the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. That it did so well on pay-per-view, but it was such a disappointment. It turned so many fans off that there's been a pay-per-view backlash. You know, even when you see these superstar fighters face each other, they haven't been doing that well on pay-per-view. You know, even if they're really good matchups, they don't do that well. I mean, you look at some of the first pay-per-views, 
after the Mayweather Pacquiao fight. You had um, Golovkin versus Lemieux. It did about 150,000 pay-per-view buys. It was Golovkin's first term on, on pay-per-view, but also, you know, he got hurt by the fact that the Mayweather Pacquiao fight happened. You know, after that, too, you go look a little bit further. Um, you look at some of Pacquiao's fights. Pacquiao-Bradley 3, it only did 300 pay-per-view buys. Mayweather's fight against Berto did 4,000 pay-per-view buys. The days of the big pay-per-views doing over a million pay-per-view buys, they might be over. They might be over for a long time because that's the damage that Pacquiao versus Mayweather did. I mean, even look at Terrence Crawford. Yeah, sure, he's a rising guy. He's never done a pay-per-view before. He did 50,000 pay-per-view buys against Victor Postal. An absolutely abysmal pay-per-view rate. And there's nothing you can say except, you know, that's where boxing is right now. Even if you put two big-name guys, two guys that are pretty well-known, and Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev, they only did 160,000 pay-per-view buys. That is where the sport is right now. And the only way to change that, as when I discussed with Steve Farhood, is that you got to see these big fights happen. you got to see the Golovkins versus the Canelos. you got to see the big-name matchups happen in the sport because if you keep throwing, you know, these semi-interesting matchups together, you know, some of these fights that don't, you know, have the, the same acclaim, and, and if also, too, these fights don't live up to the hype, it's just going to continue to hurt the sport. The one fight I am 100% sure can and will live up to the hype is Canelo versus Golovkin. If that fight happens, one, one, it will do a million pay-per-view buys. Those two have a big enough scope of popularity that it can do that. But also, too, it will be a good and interesting fight. It will help the sport. So that's what boxing needs. It needs the big fights to not only happen, but to live up to the hype, and that particular fight can do it. So if you want to see, you know, the big pay-per-views happen, not just to, to be shelling out money to see it, but because that's traditionally what happens. If you want to see the best versus the best, it's got to be on a pay-per-view because these two guys, they garner that. They garner that type of fame. And that's what pay-per-view means, that it's the, you know, you're paying to see an extraordinary matchup. And that's what we want to see come back to the sport. So hopefully in 2017, we see some of those matchups happen. We see Golovkin versus Canel because it can do nothing but help the sport. But right now, as things sit, if you keep seeing, like, Canelo versus Smith, you're going to see bad pay-per-view buys and people be turned away from the sport. And that's not what we want to see happen. All right, well, that was this week's Ask Jenna segment. I'd like to thank all the fans who submitted your questions. And, guys, you heard the top of the segment. You know how you can do it. So submit your questions, and you, too, can be part of On the Ropes Boxing Radio. All right, well, with that, I'm going to move things now to my final guest of this week's show, and he is definitely a returning one, now making his sixth appearance to On the Ropes Boxing Radio. I'm joined once again by trainer John David Jackson. How's it going today, John? John, I think going good. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show once again. Uh, definitely always a pleasure to have you on. And, John, let's uh, start things off. Fighter that you will be taking to a fight next weekend, Bernard Hopkins. You've worked with him in the past, but now you're his head trainer. Can you help us know a little bit about how you uh, began working with Bernard again? Actually, um, you know, Bernard and I had been, uh, I guess, talking, crossing our paths with uh, recent fights. And he had mentioned that he was in one more fight. And so we talked about it. We've had great success. For me, the um, Antonio Tarver fight and the Pat, Kelly Tabber fight were the fights that I orchestrated yeah, the blueprint for them, and they worked well. So we just kept talking, and um, I guess things between him and Azim Richardson were going so well. So we talked, and we decided, you know, this is his last fight, so let's, let's, let's go out together and blaze the glory. 
Was there any animosity at all being the fact that his most decisive loss in his entire career was a fight against Sergey Kovalev, a fight which you helped engineer that loss? I, I don't. I don't think there's uh, any animosity. It, it, it was business. I had, you know, warned Bernard's people, not not indirectly, but his people, not to fight Sergey about five years ago because I, I just knew that, you know, Sergey was young, he was stronger, and he's a different type of fighter, one that would give Bernard's trouble um, at this stage of Bernard's career. So, you know, and it wasn't for me, it wasn't personal. You know, people thought the fact that Bernard had defeated me uh, in, the, in, in in our championship fight in 1997 that I would use that as a revenge. But I told, you know, I told the people, I couldn't use, as a man, I couldn't use another fighter's victory for my revenge. I was headed at 31, and he used my game plan to a T. But only I could feel, you know, vindication if, if I beat Bernard myself. So I was happy to get that victory for surgery, but I, it wasn't because until I, I can beat, beat the, uh, Bernard myself and reverse that defeat, you know, I, it didn't for me. But so there was, a, you know, there's not any animosity to Bernard. And I, it was all business. Uh, the fight I thought it should have taken, and it, it proved that. But um, uh, you know, it was just business. It, that was my guy, and Bernard was in his path, and order, you know, get what Sergey became as one of the top-notch fighters. He, he had to get past Bernard, so it was all strictly business, never, never personal. All right, well, you've had the unique experience of not only just fighting Brad Hopkins, but you've worked with him, you know, when his, his rise, you know, obviously getting this to the light heavyweight championship, and you've trained a fighter to beat him. When you look at him now, he's 51, hasn't fought in two years. What type of fighter do you have to work with? Is he anywhere near where he was? What do you have? Uh, yeah, good question. I have a very crafty, knowledgeable, older fighter who doesn't, Fight as age would dictate. He, he, he still has enough left to beat most of the, the young crop of light heavyweights that are out there. Because unfortunately, today, today's boxing, a lot of these guys are tired to fight um, correctly. And uh, you know, with Bernard, this should be his last fight. But he has he has enough in his tank, left in his tank, and enough knowledge to beat most of the the, the, the crop of light heavyweights that are on the boxing. Uh, uh, division in like every division today. So, you know, um, to me, you know, the, the clock's ticking and it's time to shut it down, but this, 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 there's one left in him and there's the one that's left in him, you know, flood and do it the way you want to do it. Uh, if you're going to knock out, that'd be great, but if you just win by decision at this stage and age of his, of his career, would be, uh, a testimony of how truly good Bernard has been, uh, during his time in boxing. Oh, this upcoming Saturday takes on Joe Smith the number one ranked WBC contender, uh, guy mm-hmm. coming off of an upset win over Andres Finfara. Um, young, a little bit unknown, also untested. What do you see in front of you? Uh, you know, um, I, I, I see a kid who seems to be very hungry. Uh, he, he definitely got a taste of, you know, with the fight of the woman um, that he had with Tony. I think he's a hungry young soldier that wants to prove that he, he, did, he belongs uh, in a, the, the top echelon of the light heavyweight division. Uh, I, I just, you know, I look at his record; it's, it's not filled with really a lot of good names on it. But um, he's dangerous. He, you know, he, he's young and he wants Victor Bernard uh, elevate him and catapult him into uh, maybe a bigger uh, tax bracket, and it, it would probably secure his number one ranking in the WBC. Uh, Ravens. So, you know, he's dangerous, and, and, and we're not taking him lightly because every fight, especially at this stage of Bernard's career, is dangerous for him. Um, so, to, 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 to look past him or just 
say, hey, this is a walk in the park. No, because, you know, Joe's coming to, to he's hungry. He wants to, he wants to get at least a, a little bit of taste of that fame that Bernard has been able to enjoy in his career. So we definitely know that this is not a, a guy that, that, that you train lightly for and it's just a walk in the park. You know, Bernard decided to pick a tough opponent on his way out. Let's talk about one of these, your other fighters uh, that you recently took to the ring. Didn't have the result you wanted. That was Sergey Kovalov. He fought Andre Ward. Most people feel that he should have won, should have got the decision. Now that you've had a few weeks to reflect on it, how are you dealing with the disappointment of how that turned out? Uh, it's been a boxing and boxing. You have to move on. Uh, you know, that night was... I thought, I thought they wanted to fight, you know, uh, 9-3, 8-4 at the worst for us. I thought they wanted at least eight rounds, if not nine. And uh, it just, uh, you know, that's boxing. I, and I can't blame Ward. Ward's the fighter. All he did was fight. He, he, you know, the judges that, that made the decision, it was a bad decision. Hopefully the rematch will be uh, honored and they'll fight between April and, between April and uh, no, no later than June. When people look at the fight, they say that, Kovalov dominated the first half of the fight and Ward outboxed the second half. I'm curious from you and from your perspective in the corner, did you notice that there was a slight turn in the fight where Andre was being effective with his boxing in the second half of the fight? And was there anything you tried to say to Kovalov to try to get him back on track to doing what he was doing in the first half? Uh, um, well, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's kind of touching because the first half he did well, and I and I and I acknowledge that. The second half, Ward began to kind of get back into the fight. I had the second half of the fight three three, but the problem was in my corner that they had this other guy, this other Russian kid doing all the, all the speaking. So the second half of the fight, I was kind of limited to what I could say. And for the, I don't I don't know why, but Sergey had this guy doing all the talking. And, and then listen, that's he's it's his corner. He does what he wants, so I left it alone. I don't know what they, what they were saying. And, you know, but the first half of the fight, he definitely dominated that second half of the fight. The first half, I had it maybe 5-1 or 6-0. Second half, I had 3-3. So, um, you know, he just he kind, of, he kind of slowed down the second half of the fight. So my, my only thing that I would do differently with, with the subject is say, listen, let's get the conditioning a little bit better. So in the second half of the fight, you don't, you know, you don't kind of fizzle out. Now, John, a lot of people say, well, you know, Andre Ward now has been there with Kovalov, and it's going to be easier the second time around. But a lot of people aren't really giving credit to the fact mm-hmm. that now now that Kovalov is actually faithful in the style of Andre Ward for a full 12 rounds, that he's going to be better the next time around. Um, yes. What do you think about that comparison there that people are making? I, 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 listen, I love it. And I'll tell you why, because you, you, you kind of hit on the head for me. If you, if, you, if you really ask yourself, what can Ward do differently to, to really improve in the second fight? He can't punch any harder. He can't move any faster because then he's really not, now he's really running. He has to stand there and fight. If he were, and, you know, when he got knocked down, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a solid hit. He got hit kind of, it wasn't a, it was kind of a, like a flash knockdown. He didn't get hit solid. What's going to happen if he decides to stand and really fight with Sergey at this time? He didn't fight the first time. He ran second half of the fight. He realized Sergey kind of slowed down and it allowed him to get back in the fight. But how much more can Andre really, really improve the second time around? He can't be more, he can't be a bigger puncher. He, you know, can he throw more shots? Yes, he can, but it leaves him even more vulnerable for counters. So how much more can he? Now, on, on, on the flip side, of that Sergey can improve more. He can improve more in his conditioning, in the pace of his fight, you know, and and, and, and his selection of punching and cutting the ring off better. He can't improve, but but Andre can't improve much more than what he did. 
So all these so-called experts are standing in boxing and say, Andre can improve more. They must be crazy. He really can't improve more. He did what he had to do. Now, he can't, because I say he doesn't want to stand there and punch with Sergey. He doesn't want to move more because as he moves more, he's running. But how much more can he really improve? If he wants to go to the body stand and go to the body with him, so Andre can't do more than what he did for that fight. But if, he, but if they feel they can, great. Then that means, that means you're going to fight even harder and stand, more, stand and fight more with Sergey than you did the first time. And that leaves you vulnerable for counterpunching. All right, well, John, you know, the rematch, a lot of people want to see it, even though the first fight wasn't exactly thrilling. It was still intriguing watching you know, the puncher versus the boxer, uh, even though Kovac was out boxing more early. It was just still an interesting matchup. How likely do you think it happens next? I know it's contractually obligated, but, you know, mm-hmm. things happen in boxing. It's up to Andre. What Andre wants to do. For, for, the, for the sake of boxing, it would be great if the rematch happened immediately like it should. Um, but will it? Like I said, the, the, the ball is in Andre's court, what he wants to do. So, you know, it's up to him at this point. Okay, well, how soon ideally would you like to see Sergey Kovalev back in the ring, whether it's with Water or anybody else? Mm, I care. I, I, I say no, no later than April for him. Maybe sooner, but no later than April. Well, John, I uh, want to get your view quickly on this on the boxing scene right here. You know, 2016 is obviously heading towards a close. I'm just curious what you thought about the, the year of boxing that we had. Uh, I haven't really had a chance to think about it, but you know, it, it, it was it was a decent year. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. Um, I think uh, some of the fights that, that should have been made weren't made, but but all in all, it was a good year. It wasn't it wasn't bad. It was, you know, um, hopefully 2017 it, it'll pick up even more. Uh, the, the the promoters hopefully will come together and start letting the fighters, the champions, go against one another, and maybe start you finding some of these belts because there's too many belts out there, too many champions and some of them should kind of unify the titles to make it just one champion or at least cut down the number of champions that are out there now. So, you know, boxing issue, it was, it was, it was, a, decent, it was a decent year. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. Right, right. Well, there is one fight people were actually talking about just after this past weekend. Uh, Terrence Crawford won his fight against John Molina. There's a lot of people out there that really want to see Pacquiao versus Terrence Crawford, being the fact they're both promoted by top rank. One, I'm curious, do you think that fight – will even happen because it seems there's some hesitation on the Pacquiao side of things. And two, if it does happen, who would you pick to win that fight? Well, I don't I don't blame Manny and his people for hesitating because I would pick Crawford hands down. You know, Crawford's a very unique fighter. Very, he can switch. He can go from left to right. He can box. He can punch. May not be the biggest puncher, but his, his punches definitely have an effect on, on fighters, especially, especially if the rounds went on. It's not a fight that Pacquiao needs, definitely. You know, at this stage of his career, he needs some money. You know, you know I hate to say some safe fight for him to go out on a winning note. I would leave Crawford alone if I was him. Now, if, I, if I were a lot of fighters, I would leave Crawford alone because Crawford can play. Oh, John, let's turn things back to yourself. Can you uh, let the fans know a little bit about some of the other fighters that you're working with, some people that they can see coming up in 2017? Well, 2017, yeah, but kid, he's a middleweight in the Louis area. Um, he's, uh, he's, um, he's from Milwaukee. 18 and 0, very good puncher. Um, moving up in the middleweight ranks real well. Um, I have Curtis Stevens, who's a uh, contender. Um, should get back into the title hunt early on in uh, 2017. I have Brian Jennings, who was out for a year, but now he's, um, I can't announce what he did, but he, he signed, a, signed a deal now that's going to put him back in the, uh, the thick of things in the heavyweight division. Uh, I have a uh, Chris Algieri has come up with a bad, bad knee injury, and so he has surgery. So he may be back around April of uh, 2017. 
right. Well, back to the fight this upcoming weekend. Bernard Hawkins versus Joe Smith Jr. What is your official prediction? How do you expect this play out from the opening belt to the finish? I, you know, I think early on, it's, it's, it's Smith is going to come out. You know, he's going to try to use his youth and his strength to his advantage, and uh, it, 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 it might serve him well early. Early, um, depending on what Bernard does to, to nullify what he's going to do. But I think if the fight was on, Bernard's going to be experienced, and Bernard's just ring generalship will take over. And I see Bernard win the fight. I see Bernard win the fight by decision. He, he might surprise people, and he might score a late round stoppage, but I see Bernard winning the fight. Handling. Yeah. You know, and, uh, listen, unless Father Time shows up that night and decides to slow Bernard down, Bernard should win the fight. He should win the fight and handle it. All right. All right. Well, John, in closing, um, I want to get your views on 2017 in terms of fights that could happen. If you could pick a couple of fights you'd like to see happen in 2017, and let's say not involving any of your fighters because there's a little class yeah. on that aspect there, but <laughs> – if you could see a couple of fights you want to see made in 2017, which ones would you like to see made? Uh, I guess uh, Golovkin and uh, Canelo. That would be a good fight to see. Uh, um, in the 147-time weight division, I'd like to see all those guys fight. There's so many guys at 147 that are good, and I'd like to see these guys at the, at the, in that division, maybe the champions, fight each other. Um, uh, those are the fights that i like to see. Uh, like I said, the middleweight division and, 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 and the welterweight division, two very strong divisions, and these guys should fight each other. I, I, don't, I can't pick and choose who should fight who, but it would be nice if they would just kind of unify their belts for both of those two divisions. All right, all right. Well, John, as always, it's a great pleasure speaking with you. I thank you very much for your time, and I wish you all the best going into the new year. Thank you, John. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me show, and maybe 2017 be even better year for you in boxing. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Hopefully. I'll catch you later, John. All right, take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Okay, that was John David Jackson giving his thoughts on Bernard Hopkins' upcoming fight this weekend against Joe Smith, also talking about some of the upcoming fights that can happen in 2017. Uh, i got to say it was definitely a pleasure speaking to John David Jackson. He's a, a guy that, you know, um, a former world championship fighter, a guy that's shown his medal in the boxing ring and has also showed his ability as a trainer in the corner, He's brought so many fighters to world championships. Uh, he's done so well with so many different guys. And, you know, I mean, the success that he's had. I mean, look at Sergey Kovalov. I mean, Sergey Kovalov arguably beat Andre Ward. I mean, that's an accomplishment in itself. A guy that hadn't, you know, lost since the age of 13. And a lot of people feel, even though the decision went the other way, that, you know, Kovalov should have got the decision, should have got that call. You know, so, I mean, uh John David Jackson definitely one of the top guys in the sport, and, you know, he's uh, going out there this upcoming weekend with a legend. Uh, he's got Bernard Hopkins, all of 51 years old, and, uh, you know, he's got a chance to help end one of the most historic careers in boxing on a high note, taking on Joe Smith. You know, it's an interesting fight because, you know, it's not often you see uh, a guy that's one 51 years old fighting, but a guy that's still near an elite level fighting. You know, we don't know exactly how Bernard Hopkins looks. He's been out of the ring for a while. You know, he's been out of the ring for two years. But he's a guy that always comes completely prepared. So it'll be very interesting to see that fight. I'm looking forward to it. And also, too, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with, you know, John David Jackson and, and, and Kovalov and that rematch. You know, uh, he brought up a very interesting point about the rematch, if it does happen, the fact that, you know, can Andre Ward perform any differently than he did, in the, especially even in that second half of the fight? 
can he do any better? You know, if any guy's got room for improvement, it's Kovalov. Because Andre Ward did what he wanted to do or what he aimed to do for the fight in the second half from, you know, round 5 to round 12. Can Kovalov improve? And, you know, I think he can. I think it can be another very interesting matchup in a fight, you know, that could go either way once again. So hopefully that fight happens in 2017. Hopefully that rematch happens. And uh, hopefully everything goes well this weekend with John David Jackson and Bernard Hawkins. It was a a pleasure speaking to John, and uh, I look forward to having him on the show again in the future. All right, well, with that, let's move things to the upcoming week's fight schedule and that upcoming fight that I just talked about, Bernard Hawkins versus Joe Smith. Um, you know, as I said before, it's it's an intriguing fight because Bernard Hawkins is 61 years old, but it's not just interesting because of that. Joe Smith Jr. is a rising light heavyweight contender. He is the number one contender in the WBC. He's a legitimate challenge. He's a legitimate challenge, but he's also a smart challenge, a smart challenge for an older fighter. Because if you look at the last fight for Joe Smith Jr., he knocked out Andres Manfara in one round. Didn't get a chance to show a lot. Didn't get to show any of his inexperience, any of his flaws, anything that, you know, a guy that's generally fought on kind of the Midwestern level can have. And Bernard Hopkins, he's a very smart guy. If you're choosing the final fight of your career, He's seen a lot of tape on Joe Smith Jr., and he has that game plan. He has that game plan set up. And with John David Jackson as his trainer, I'm sure they've set up and planned out and architect a excellent game plan that's going to allow him to beat Joe Smith Jr. I think it will be close being the fact that Bernard is 51 years old. He's not the same fighter that he was. Um, he's not going to be able to fight the same pace that he once did. He's smart, he's cagey, he's one of the most crafty guys in the sport that you'll ever see. He's a guy that, you know, he can hit you with five or six legal punches and one illegal punch, the referee won't even see it. He's got that kind of experience. And I don't think Joe Smith Jr., of any of his fights in his career, can prepare him for someone that is that cagey. It will be close. I think it will be somewhere around eight rounds to four, even seven rounds to five, but I think Bernard Hopkins will win a decision in his final fight of his boxing career. I think it's a good fight for him. I think it's a good matchup. And I think Bernard Hopkins is going to come out with his hand raised. But, you know, that's just what does it for this week's show. I'd like to thank all three of my guests, Evo Sanchez, Steve Farhood, and John David Jackson. It was a pleasure speaking to all of them. I'd also like to thank our show's sponsor, IBOboxing.com. I've told the fans many times, guys, if you want to catch the latest with the IBO, you can go over to their website, IBOboxing.com. You'll find all their latest rankings, all their latest news of their fighters. You'll find all the list of them over at that website. And speaking of websites, make sure you guys check out www.ontheropesboxing.com. You'll find all of our latest interview articles, show podcasts, everything to do with On The Ropes. You'll find it there. And bye, fans. Enjoy your fight weekend. Enjoy the holidays. And I'll catch you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over the limit by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.